to take a moment and just look around at the pictures today for a second. Because these pictures, as we kick off this missions conference, are pictures that were taken by our team when they were in Haiti this summer. And so each of these are faces of the people and the children that our church came in direct contact with as a result of the faithfulness of those who told the Lord that they were willing to go. And I could not think of a better way of just saying it's like, it's like the fingerprints of God at Grace Assembly of where we've been. How exciting is that? And then we have this theme, any place, any price. That will be the title of my message next week, any place, any price. But today I would like it if you would, if you would turn to Luke chapter 15. And today I want to speak for just a few minutes on the three faces of missions. The three faces of missions. And for those of you that don't know, I'm a missionary's kid. My mom and dad spent a number of years in, in East Africa, in Kenya, working in seven countries along the eastern shore of the continent of Africa. Then they came back and were part of the executive committee of the Assemblies of God for about 10 years. And then instead of retire, they decided to go back and became missionaries in Europe and gave uh, care to uh, our missionaries that were there all over the whole theater of Europe for a number of years. And so I have lived the experience of what it's like to be in a family of missionaries that are willing to go anywhere. And I can tell you that when you pray for our missionaries, and next Sunday night, not tonight, tonight's our worship time, but next Sunday night we're going to be focusing on praying for the missionaries. I can tell you what it's like to be a child of a missionary that gets left behind because I was already in college when they were going, and what it feels like in struggling with the aspect of my God is calling my parents and my younger sisters to a land and I'm being left behind and, and dealing with a very close family and what does that look like and how does that feel like and so I encourage you to, to be in prayer for our missionaries and our missionary families and on the other side of that I can tell you of the phenomenal, phenomenal move of God's spirit that took place while they were on the field. But in this 15th chapter of Luke... I want to read the first couple of verses and then paint a picture and then tell you a quick three stories. The scripture says in the first two verses, now the tax collectors and sinners, and in my Bible, sinners is in parentheses, were all gathered around him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Father, I pray that over these next few moments that you would begin to prepare our hearts in such a way that the theology of missions that you're about to describe becomes something that's implanted within us, that it becomes part of our DNA as your heart is within us. And I ask for clarity of thought and that your people would be captured by the heart that you have for the lost. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So picture this setting. There's a group of people that are close by Jesus and he's having a conversation with them. And then on the outside of this circle are the religious elite, the Pharisees that are there. And they are listening to his conversations and they begin to mutter among themselves at the type of people that Jesus is surrounding himself with. And I, I love the terminology here because it says that the tax, collector, tax collectors, which were the most um, untrustworthy thieves in, in their nation at that time, the tax collectors and sinners. So if we were to place that in today's language, it would be the IRS agents and everybody else who has sinned. 
I, I love the fact that they pointed them out because of the very nature of the description of their lives that they are the worst of the worst. And so here Jesus is surrounded by what the religious elite considers the worst of the worst. And here they are, they're sitting over on the side and they're going, he welcomes these people. What, what, what kind of man that welcomes the worst of the worst? And then even worse than just welcoming them or having a conversation with them, they go so far as to say, and he eats with them. He has meals with them. He involves himself in their lives, probably in their homes, which to me is one of the great misunderstandings of the church that somehow Jesus, the embodiment of holiness, the embodiment of all that is righteous, can be around sinners and tax collectors and they want him at their house. And we have yet to figure out a way as a church to be accepted and loved by those who don't yet know Jesus. And so this is what the picture is that's going around there. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, knowing what they're muttering, begins to lay out what would be considered his complete missions theology in three stories within this chapter. And I want to take a quick look at those because I believe that if the theology of missions for Jesus can be wrapped up in these three thoughts, then it ought to be something that is planted within our lives and lived out within our lives in our church as well. And so he starts with this story that we find in verse 3 through 7, the story of the lost sheep. So Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. So he starts this story as the religious leader standing around, and he instantly begins with something that he knows is going to offend them. He talks about a shepherd. Now, a shepherd would be the lowest occupation that you could get. And so he looks at them and he said, which one of you, as he looks at the elite, and he says, has a hundred sheep and one that gets away wouldn't go look for them. And so instantly they are caught on guard and, you know, they're, they're, they're probably ready to dismiss what he says. And then he tells this story about what a shepherd would do who had a flock of sheep and was missing one that had wandered off in the wilderness. Now, I realize today that we are not up to date and, and being a shepherd is not something that registers with us. So I found a video that I thought was interesting of what it might look like today if a shepherd finds a sheep and what that rescue might look like. So take a look at this video if you would. Now tell me something, does that not describe some of your lives that you were lost in a hole? 
head first. It looks good going in. And then you get in there and you go, oh no. I can't get out. And Jesus describes to us that a shepherd that has a heart for people and for sheep goes out. Now, I looked at that and I'm wondering, how in the world did that shepherd know that that sheep wasn't just in a field but was in a hole in the middle of the field? How do you even hear a sheep underground? Some of you were so buried in your sin, so buried in your lostness, there was no way for you to escape. And, and we get this image sometimes of Jesus as a shepherd coming along, finding you in a field, scooping you up, throwing you up. I want you to know, it was work for him to get you out of that hole of sin. That was not an easy thing to pull you out. And yet, here is the first thing that he speaks to us about. Number one, the sheep was lost. The sheep was lost the sheep was lost because it chose to go into a hole. Some of you in your lives, when Jesus rescued you, found yourself so deep in the hole of sin that you knew you could do nothing about it if it wasn't for Jesus reaching in, grabbing you by the ankles, and dragging you out by his mercy and by his grace. And he describes to us in this missions theology... There are lost sheep in the wilderness of our world that require shepherds and under shepherds to be sent to them and to find them and to work hard at digging them out so they have a chance to live because they've met a shepherd that loves them. To me, this speaks of the missionaries that we send out across the world into the wild places and into the wilderness places, into the far countries of our world, we send them there. And today I stand here representing 2,800 world missionaries of the Assemblies of God that could not go where they go and could not do what they do if it were not for people like Grace Assembly and those who attend here in supporting them so that they can go out there and find the sheep that have been buried in the holes and dig them out because they're lost in the wilderness of our world. Being a missionary's kid, I can tell you that there were moments in time when I knew that mom and dad were going through some difficult times and people were awakened in the middle of the night in different places saying, I don't know why, but God planted you on my heart and I had to get up and I had to pray. Little did they know at moments like that that my mom and dad were digging people out of the holes of sin and needed the extra prayer support from churches that cared because the shepherd was being sent into all the world. And after Jesus finishes this story it says that when the sheep was found it said there was great rejoicing great joy at the one who was lost was found oh i can't wait to see the rejoicing that takes place in heaven when one sinner comes home and so jesus in his missions theology outlines in the first story there's a world out there that needs shepherds that will go out and seek those who are lost he moves into a second story that we find in verses 8 through 10. We know it as the parable of the lost coin. And Jesus says to those that were standing around, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together. 
And she says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one single sinner who repents. So now, he's already offended the religious elite by comparing them to shepherds. If it's possible, he goes even worse. And there, Danny goes, suppose you're a woman. Long time ago. Suppose you're a woman and you lost a coin. You have ten, but you lost one. And he begins to describe this frantic search that takes place for this coin because it was at such value to her. The coin, for whatever reason, was lost because of the action of another because a coin can't do anything on its own. But it's in the house. And so here we get a description of the theology of missions from Jesus. The first was a picture of the wilderness, the world. The second is something that happens in the house. It's local. This becomes a local mission to find the lost coin that is here. And the environment was a dusty environment. It was unkept. And the coin was searched for vigorously until found. And then it brought great joy when it was found. To me, this describes... Not only the local mission of what we do within our city and within our state, but also what we do within our nation. It describes a local home missions. And this morning I have asked Danielle Johnston to come because she has been involved in a local mission that we don't hear too much about. It's almost as if it was in a dusty place, but it's been very vital and I wanted her to share her heart as it relates to a local mission that's around us. Thanks so much, Pastor. Um, I work for a group called Syracuse City Young Life. And Young Life has actually been around since 1941. It was started in Texas. And our mission and heart for Young Life is that every adolescent would have the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ and then follow him. And in Syracuse right here in the neighborhoods that are very, very close to this church. It was found last year that Syracuse has the highest concentration of poverty among blacks and Latinos in the country. So we have neighborhoods right outside our door that are literally hurting and need help. So at Syracuse City Young Life, we have three different programs that we reach out to teens in the city. Our first program we call YL2C. It's Young Life that was started in the 2C cell block in the Justice Center. And we get to reach out to male youth, 14 to 18 years old, and we get to have a Bible study with them every week on Thursdays. And then we have Young Life, where we get to reach out to teenagers in our high schools. And on Tuesdays, we meet at the Boys and Girls Club on Shawnard Street, right on the west side. And then with Young Lives, We have a group where we meet with teen moms, and we get to reach out to not only these teens, but to their babies as well. We meet at the Southern Missionary Baptist Church in Syracuse, and we meet on Thursdays. You get to see some of the pictures behind me, which is great. Um, These three different ministries, a couple of things we get to do with the teens is we have something we call club, and this is a party with a purpose. 
the founder of our ministry, Jim Rayburn, said that it is a sin to bore kids with the gospel. And we truly believe that, that especially in these neighborhoods where they're really the hardest hit, that we want to remind them that they're teenagers and they can have fun. So we have skits and we do games and we do silliness and we do music and we do food, but we also get to share about the Lord. And then we also have a Bible study. We call it campaigners. And those kids that actually meet the Lord, we get to show them how they can follow him, which is great. We also have the opportunity in the summer to take two different camp trips, one with our high schoolers and one with our moms, where we get to go to a Young Life camp property and bring our kids out of their everyday. I know all of you guys know what a special thing it is when you go to a women's ministry event or when you go to camp in the summer that you get to experience God in a really special way. We get to do that with these kids. But beyond these programs, the mission and heart of what we do is that we go to where the kids are. That our verse is 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And our heart is to really share our lives with these kids, that we can go to where they are. And in Acts 2, 46 through 47, says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So our heart is that we earn the right to be heard in these kids' lives, that they don't just come to our building and we talk to them and we preach at them, but that we teach them about the Lord through our lives. And in Isaiah 43.1 says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. There is power in knowing someone's name, being able to call them by name. And we want to do that for these teens. We want to be able to get to know their names. And we want to be able to show them through our lives, but also point them towards the Lord, that their lives can be redeemed. These kids go through such hard times living their life in these neighborhoods that are so hard hit by poverty and violence and hopelessness. And we want to show them that they can be redeemed And that not only we know their names, but that we can point them to the Lord who already knows their names and who is calling them by name. The ways that we need people to get involved right now, one is for our Young Lives Teen Moms program, we have mentors. And it says, Young Lives has never wavered from the original vision to reach teen moms by entering their world modeling the unconditional love of Christ and encouraging them to become the women and mothers that God created them to be. Through Young Life's time-tested methods of life-on-life mentoring, teen moms are empowered to make positive choices, set and achieve goals, and live a future rooted in Christ. 
So we're looking for Christian women who are willing to come and walk alongside of our teen moms and enter their worlds and get to know them. We're also looking for leaders for our high school ministry that would come and hang out with our teens and get to know them and impact their lives. We're also looking for people who would partner with us financially and bless our ministry uh, monthly that they could walk alongside of us as we reach out to these teens. And we're also looking for committee members. Uh, we're looking for people that may not, may not be your thing to hang out with teens, may not be your thing to be silly and crazy at a club on a Thursday night or a Tuesday night, but that you have connections in the community, that you want to support us by saying, this is a ministry we want to have here, that you can help us plan events and you can help support the staff. So if this is a ministry that is tugging on your heart, um, if this is something that you want to be part of our team, um, as we are listening to that song, if you want to share about the love that never fails and never gives up and never runs out on these teens, I'm going to be out in the hallway after the service, so just come and we can talk about it. Sometime the lost coins are right here in our own neighborhood. And they have to be sought for and looked for. I can tell you that today is the launching also of, I believe, eight new churches that we have been planning within our district. We have a 10-for-one program that's been going on, and we wanted 10 new churches, and I think we have some others that will be launched very shortly. And next week, we're going to be taking an offering that's going to be going toward that. How wonderful it is when the kingdom of God grows because we have more servants who are willing to seek for the coins in our own locale and look for those who have been lost. And so he sets out for us within this missions theology a love for the world and a love for the locality. And then the third story he tells is found in beginning in verse 11 the parable of the lost son. And he says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them, and not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I no longer am worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they begin to celebrate. In this third story that Jesus begins to share, he begins to talk about a different mission that the church needs to have and be aware of, and that is the mission of restoration. I would say that every one of us knows of at least one person who at one time was living for the Lord that for whatever reason chose to wander away and are now living in a rebellious state. They have wandered away from the safety of the kingdom and house of the Lord. Perhaps they stated like this man who told his father, listen, you're not dying quick enough. I can't wait for you to die and split the estate, so just go ahead and give me what I want now. And the father took his estate and gave him the blessing, and the kid runs off and lives the way he wants. But just like Satan does, he never tells the whole story at the beginning. And as the young man got out into the world, he began to recognize that once the money ran out, the fun ran out, the friends ran out, and the food ran out. And then he hired himself out to the world to try to make a living while he was out there. And all of this ends up with him looking at the food, the husks that the pigs were eating, wishing that the farmer would at least let him eat those with the pigs. And suddenly when he's reached the bottom of the bottom, he begins to come to himself. I call this preaching to yourself. There's moments in time, any of you ever done that, just had to preach to yourself? And he finally stops and he goes, oh my goodness. What have I done? Where am I? I know that the workers at my father's house eat better than I do. And so he came to himself. He snapped back to reality. And the Bible says that he arose and he returned to the father. And so within this focus of ministry of the story of Jesus is this. We need to be sensitive to those who have known the Lord and wandered away and help them arise from where they are and come back to the father. They need to pray that God, you would bring them to their senses, let them preach to themselves and come to a place where they stop and say, I'm running back to the one who I knew loved me when I didn't deserve it and find an open arm in the face of the Savior. And so in the three faces of ministry that Jesus describes in these three stories, we see first the wilderness which becomes our world, the house which becomes our local nation, state, and city, And the wanderer, the church is a place where those who have wandered away can come home and find grace and mercy and an open arm and loving relationships as we act in the grace of the Father and embrace them one more time. So as we look at these stories, we see some similarities. First of all, the object or the person is lost. I want you to know something. When you were lost, you couldn't do anything about it. It required the Savior. It required the shepherd. It required somebody dusting you off. It required somebody coming after you, and that was what missions is all about. We send people to go out and look for those that are lost. Because when you're lost, you're in a miserable condition, apart from God, and you can't do anything about it. The second similarity in all of these is that In each one of them, the object or the person that is being spoken of has already been owned. The sheep was owned. The coin was owned. Even the son would have been considered owned by the father until the father died. This is what many don't understand is that 
We have already been paid for. We've been bought with a price. Whether you choose to reveal your life and give it to the Lord or not, you don't belong to yourself. You've been purchased. You're owned by a Savior that has a better plan for you than you can have for yourself. The third similarity is that the object or the person always remained valuable even when they were lost. They remained valuable even when they were lost. I have asked the Lord that he would plant within us his heart. Because if we don't love the lost the way he does, then I have to question the validity of your salvation experience. Because when he comes in and he plants himself within us, we will love those that don't know the Lord. And we will pursue them with all that we have. The next thing that we see is the owner, even though he had other coins and he had other sheep and he had another son, never turned his focus away from seeking and saving and restoring that which was lost. I'm thankful that the Lord loves you. I'm thankful that I get to walk in in the grace and love of God, but I want you to know something. There are those that are outside these walls today that the Savior is waiting to rejoice because we go out and get them. They are still valuable to him. We are no more valuable because we are already in his grace than those that do not yet know that there's a Savior that loves them. And so we can never turn our focus away from recovering those which are loved and which are lost. The Savior loves, he loves those who are lost. And the last thing that was similar was the great amount of rejoicing that took place here. I couldn't get over that as I'm reading these. I mean, it's not just you find your sheep and you go, woohoo. It's not just that you're digging around in the dust of a dirt floor and you find your coin and you're going, yes. It wasn't just the son came home and the father goes, oh, well, look who decided to wander back home. Glad you finally came to your senses. The scripture gives this amazing detail of the rejoicing and the party that takes place here. It's not just give a quick shout. It's call your friends. It's let's have a party. Let's jump up and down. Let's rejoice. Let's put on the good clothes. Let's kill the expensive calf. Because something happened that is eternal here and everybody needs to know about it. Oh, church, let's never lose the joy of celebrating when a new name is written down in glory. Whether it happens in our church or through the effort of those whom we send out as missionaries around the whole world. Let's rejoice when the message is captured and a soul is redeemed. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. In your announcements, in your bulletin today, I trust that you will find a card that looks like this called My Mission's Faith Promise. Let me just describe to you, for those that may be new here, how we support our missionaries within our church. As you look out at the list of the missionaries that we support and all the strings that reach out into all the world, those Assemblies of God missionaries are supported because they, when they have been called into mission, sit down with an executive board, share their heart with them, And if the executive committee recognizes a call within their life, they appoint them as missionaries. They then are then permitted to go from between 18 months and two years, setting up services with churches just like ours and sharing their vision, hoping that congregations will join them and say, we know that you're called and we want to support you where you go. 
And their budgets range from some of them a few thousand to some of them that may have kids that they have to put in schools in some of these countries to several thousand dollars a month. Sadly, some of them over the period of two years can't get enough congregations to join them and they are, their, their uh, appointment is removed. Those that you see that we support that are on the field have come and they've shared their heart with us and we said, yes, we know you're called. Yes, we want to join you in that. And the way that we support them is through our missions faith promise. We do not take money out of our general fund. A faith promise is simply saying, Lord, I know that my tithe belongs to the church. It's, it's to be brought to the storehouse. That, that money is used so that we as a church can function. A faith promise is above and beyond that tithe. It's believing that as the Lord brings into your heart and brings into your life funds that are available, that you will take those and honor Him first with that above your tithe and pour that into the missions effort of the local church so that we can support more missionaries. My wife and I, a long time ago, decided that we would involve ourselves in this. And one of the things that we have done, and I just say this not for any reason other than to say that it became a value of ours, is we determined that in our lives, there would never be a time in our life where we would spend more money on cable and internet costs than we would to support people going into all the world. That when I stood before the Lord, I did not want Him to see that my selfish nature was worth more to me than my nature to see people won across the world. And I know that as those costs rise, it gets more and more difficult, but I want you to know something. I've discovered again and again that the faithfulness of God, when He plants a figure on His heart, on your heart, He will provide a way for you to see it. Next week, we're going to collect these. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to pray over it. Some of you in, a mind, in your mind already have a figure, and you say, you know what, I think I can afford this. If, if that's the first words out of your mouth, that's not a faith promise. That's an I can do it promise. A faith promise is saying, Lord, if what you're speaking to my heart and that amount is really what you want me to do, I can't do this on my own. Then you've stepped into faith. Then you're walking in the territory where he does his best work. I could share with you stories all morning of miraculous ways that God has provided faith promises for people. But here's what I want you to know. If we're really living in the last days of time, and Scripture indicates we are, if this is the last missions conference we ever have a chance to attend, what's more valuable? Lost sheep, lost coins, people coming back to Jesus, or more things for us? Oh God, lead us and guide us. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. There's a pamphlet in your bulletin that I'm going to encourage you to read, but I want to read one thing, and then I'm closing this service in prayer. Making a faith promise is a sacred act. It's a spiritual agreement between you and God that He will guide you in your decision and He will bless you for your commitment. But each one must do as He has purposed in His heart. Father, we start this missions conference together by hearing the theology of missions that you outlined in three very simple stories that outlined for us the need to send people into all of the world into the wilderness the need to be aware of what's going on in our lo local city and in our state and in our, in, in our nation Lord the home missions as we call those as well 
as the nature of the church as we respond to those that have known you and are prompted by the Spirit to come back home. In these three faces of missions, Lord, we ask that you would lead us, plant your heart within us. And Father, as we spend time this week and we actually pray and seek your face as to how you want to provide for us in miraculous ways, faith promises so that we can support more missionaries and more missions. I ask that you would scare us with the way that you want to achieve this. Lord, it's easy to say that we are people that walk by faith, but honestly, in many areas of our life, we don't. We walk by sight. So I ask that you would plant within us your theology of missions from these three stories, and may we be counted faithful and obedient when you speak to our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you.